Hey, beautiful people, and thank you for listening to the Bang 2-3 podcast. If you find this funny, entertaining, or insightful, feel free to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, or if you want to make my day, go show us some love on our Instagram page, because I love each and every single one of you. Thank you for listening. You did judo, right, for quite some time? Yeah. Yeah. I, I was the national judo ta- champion in, uh, in Israel for seven years running. Okay, great. Me and you are locked in a room. Your only job is to kill me in one minute. How do you do it? Easily. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, what do you do if it's so easy? Real quick, I one can, minute. I, I can let you choose. You can choose. <laughs> It's that easy? Is it really that easy? It's just, hey, how do you want to die? Do you want it by the, you want me to snap your neck, uh, choke you out, squash your head? (laughs) What does it feel to walk around the earth with that type of confidence? Um, I don't know. It's just like asking a fish, how does it feel to swim in water? (laughs) Damn. So you've always been confident that you could kick almost anyone's ass? Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't thought about it too much. <laughs> so, okay, okay, th- this is interesting because a lot of people, a lot, especially like a lot of girls I talk to, they're, they're like really scared. Oh, no, I don't want to go walk at night or I don't want to go to the store by myself. Do you have any of those fears? Um. Not really. It's not something that I, I, I think about too much. <laughs> what is the, like, the biggest fear that you experience on a day-to-day basis? I don't think I focus on that at all. It's not something that I, you know, I don't waste energy on, on being afraid. But how, how, how can you prevent it? I, I don't understand. So if, if you go swimming in the sea, you don't think, oh, man, maybe there's a shark? Uh, chances are that there aren't any sharks in Israel, <laughs> so that's not an issue. <laughs> that's a good point. So, you know, whenever you go maybe like walk in the desert or in the wilderness, you know, oh, maybe there's a rattlesnake or something like that that's going to get me. I better be careful. You know, there's, I think there's a normal awareness of you know, just being cautious, but I, I wouldn't consider it, you know, being afraid. It's just a matter of, you know, doing, doing what you need to do, staying safe. Yeah. I just don't, don't emphasize so much. I, don't, I try not to, you know, I don't give energy to fear. Not an what issue. Do, what do you give energy to? To growth. And, That's what and I like, how, how do you measure growth? So let's say one week ago, you, you look at your life a week ago and you look at your life today. What do yeah. you look at about your life to say, okay, I've grown? It's the improving. It's just self-improvement. I think the, the whole focus is how to become a better person from one day to the next. Okay. And everything I do, learning all the time, just, you know, trying to do good to other people, trying to be a good mom, <laughs> a good friend. You know, uh, that's what I try to do. Yeah, I, I hear like a lot of people say this, and I think it's the right answer. But in my weird head, I don't understand, like, why do we care about growth? Like, why do I care about being a quote-unquote better person? Why don't I care about doing lots of drugs? That's really fun. Why do I care about, like, I need to be better? Like, for what? What is the motivation for being better? I think that thriving is an innate part of who we are. If you just look outside at nature, everything's growing all the time. If you don't tend to your garden, 
Weeds will be growing there, but something will always be growing. Everything is constantly growing and expanding. The universe is constantly growing and expanding. And that's just part of who we are and what we are. That's the way we're, we're built. So you think it's just part of living nature to want to grow and expand? That's just what we do all the time. It's, it's part of us. If you look at our children, that's what they do. They grow. <laughs> you feed them, they grow <laughs> if they're healthy. So everything's thriving around us. It's all about growing. It's either you expand or you die. That's, that's just the way it is. So, but like humans also have an innate urge to eat everything, right? If, if you see like some really good food, like we want to eat all of it, right? But we have to resist that urge. So why do we have to resist the urge to eat everything in sight, all the candy, but we don't resist the urge to grow? Because I think there are two forces which are part of us. One is the force of the soul, which is drawing us upwards towards growth. And then there's the force of nature. It's like the animal inside each of us, which is drawing us towards, I'd say, more selfish, short-term results. And we just have to decide who we're going to listen to, what side, we're going, what side of ourselves we're going to feed, basically. That's interesting. So, so you do it like feel these like weird urges and primal, um, I guess impulses to do things that you know are self-destructive and every day you have to fight them is that like every day you fight that battle with yourself um i it's not exactly you know there's a story about if i recall correctly about this indian boy who came to his grandfather and his grandfather told him listen within you there are two wolves there's the good wolf and the bad wolf and it all depends Life depends on what wolf you feed. The stronger you feed, you know, the, 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 the wolf that you feed will become stronger, and that's the one who will lead your choices. So if you feed the good wolf, so to speak, it's easy to make better choices because you're already, already it's in a stronger position. If you feed the bad wolf, <laughs> then he'll become stronger and he, he, he'll be the one who dominates you. So it's all a matter of who you feed. So do you think, once you've, you've made like some good choices, let's say you've, you've been like really healthy, productive for a couple months, does it get easier? Of course. I think every choice, that you, every good choice that, that you make makes the next best choice easier. So every good choice you make lifts you higher and every bad choice you make pulls you lower. Damn. I've never heard anyone put it that way. That's, that's really interesting. Uh, what... What advice would you give to somebody who maybe I've made bad choices my whole life? 20 years, I've made bad choices, right? Damn, I'm in a rut, right? I'm depressed. Oh my gosh, I'm so depressed. All I want to do is wake up, drink lots of alcohol, get drunk, and eat candy. That's what I've been doing for the past like two years. Every day, I'm in the lowest point of my life. How do I, like, how do I take that first little baby good choice step? Well, I think it's just like a game of poker. You know, you see where the other person is and you raise him by one. You just try to raise yourself every day by one. You don't set out like these huge goals that, you know, you set yourself up to fail. You just say, today I'm going to get up half an hour earlier and try to do one thing. So you always set these small attainable goals and each goal, each time that you manage to, to, do, to achieve these goals, 
it will make you stronger and more confident for the next goals. So, but it's always about, you know, seeing where you are and raising yourself by one. Have you ever been in a street fight? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> you probably see, they say people who do martial arts such as judo or jujitsu or boxing, they say that this makes you like carry yourself more confidently and like people can detect that and they don't want to mess with you. Do you think that's true? Yeah, I think that's true. Everything, yeah. everything in, in life is like a vibration that you send out and people can read you subconsciously, just like, you know, dogs can smell fear. You know, people can, can recognize things that you project. What is the most important thing you look for in a man or a potential husband? Uh, I, think it's, I think it's a good heart and accountability. Mm. When someone believes that, you know, in God, he's accountable to a force that's much higher than him. And I think that's very important because... People, when people feel that whatever they do, there's always someone, I'd say they're always accountable to someone, to a force which is above them, then they carry themselves differently and they make better choices. What is the force that is above you that you are accountable to? God, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> is that, so what is, I, I, so I'm from, I'm from the U.S., what is Israel or the people who live in Israel, what is their relationship like with Jesus? Um, well, most Israelis are Jews. So they're, you know, they're, they, they do the... Jesus is, a, is basically is, is a Jew, right? But <laughs> whoever follows Jesus is a Christian. So uh, the Israelis and Jews don't, don't, uh, don't follow Jesus. They follow... Uh, the Jewish religion. Okay. So is it kind of like, because everybody flocks to Israel to go see all of the historical artifacts that are spoken about in the Bible. I have like family members who've went to Israel just for that. They talk about your country all the time over here, by the way. You have the coolest country. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> so you. cool. Everybody wants to go over there. So is it kind of like, it's like Elvis. So lots of people come to a, a, poor, a, a city here in the U.S. just to see Elvis. And everyone who lives in that city is like, oh, yeah, like it, Elvis is just kind of like the big tourist attraction. Is Jesus just like a, a big tourist attraction in Israel? Well, I suppose for Christians, he's the main reason why they come. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So like I say, you know, I've heard once someone said that Jesus was the most successful Jew ever. So <laughs> Jesus has definitely done the... Um, you know, for current tourism in Israel, he's done quite a lot. Yeah, that that's true. He has done quite a lot. Is it, that is so weird, like all of the history and stuff that you guys have over there in the Middle East in general and in Israel. Do you get taught about the Israeli history in school? Of course, we get taught, we, we learn history at school and it's a, it's a big part of our tradition. What is like something in Israeli history that you were taught in school that I wouldn't know about? Uh, let me think. Probably the temple, the temple, the Jewish temple, the first and the second temples. What is that? You, the, that was the Jewish place of worship. Or maybe when the Jews uh, were taken out of Egypt by Moses, that might have been something that you must have learned about. <laughs> yes. 
and that the parting is... of the Dead Sea, of the Red Sea, sorry. <laughs> do you, so can you go to the Red Sea and see where it parted? Do, do people know where it was parted or no? Um, I'm not sure. I never heard of that, but I definitely swam. <laughs> swam there was very, it's, it's, it's relatively cold compared to the Mediterranean. Uh, but it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a tourist attraction. <laughs> yeah. What, what would you say is like the coolest thing about Israeli people? Um, I think it's their, probably their humor. <laughs> what do you mean? Uh, they've got a great sense of humor and also their confidence, which some, most people might find maybe slightly overconfidence, but <laughs> Israeli people are in general quite confident and, and competent. Where do you think their confidence comes from? Um, it's a good question. I think it's I think in a place where you're constantly challenged, like Israel is constantly challenged from a security point of view, um, that actually builds inside you a resilience, which gives you that confidence. That that's something else that we hear about. So I, I I'm very ignorant. Um, of, of all the Israeli stuff and everything you guys go through. But we do hear about that. What type of security challenges does Israel face on a day-to-day -day basis? What's like the biggest threat? Um, well, there's you know, being surrounded by Arab countries, <laughs> some of which <laughs> we do have you know, diplomatic relations with now, which is good, but it wasn't, hasn't always been that, that way. Uh, so that's like the main security issue. So how, how do these Arab countries threaten you? Is it with guns, bombs? Just name it. <laughs> Everything. <laughs> oh, man. So essentially, you are surrounded by countries and people that want to kill you. Um, I'd say more countries. Uh, and I'm not big on politics, but, you know, there are, when you're surrounded, when you're surrounded by enemies, you just, you have to be strong, otherwise you're done. So yeah. you focus on being strong. So you think that that, like that security threat uh, every single day, not knowing what's going to happen, makes your people very confident? Yeah. It's yeah. the exact opposite of what people will expect. You know, most people if, think that if you constantly threaten, it makes you weak and fearful. However, if you take it to a good place, it makes you much more confident. Yeah. What would you say is like your, your biggest, I guess like your biggest fear in life? I, t I told you already, I, I don't deal with fear. You know, I don't, I, I don't give it any energy. I don't think about it. <laughs> At all? That's nuts. What, what, what do you think about when you, when you wake up every day? What's the first thing on your brain? You got to use the bathroom? <laughs> my, ch my children. How many kids? You have two kids? Yeah. Who's your favorite? <laughs> Both. Both. <laughs> what What was the hardest thing about raising kids so far? Um, in keeping calm. How so? Because you know they sometimes they push your buttons, and you need to stay calm. Do, does that ever? Do you ever have to like let out that frustration later? Um, I don't know if later. Sometimes I feel I want to let out the frustration as it happens. And sometimes I manage to control myself and sometimes I don't. So let's say you, you kind of unleash on your kids, right? You had a long day and they kind of get on your nerves. And let's say you snap a little bit and you raise your voice. 
do you go back later and apologize to him? Yeah. I, you know, I even try to apologize, you know, at the same time. So make it, I try to make the apology as close as it is to the, to the actual, you know, incident. Oh, that makes sense. Do you think, what, I don't know, how old are they? Six and three. Six and three. So do you think they understand the apology? And yeah, of course, of course. Yeah. Of course, of course. What, like, what principles do you use to raise your kids? Is there any or you just go flow? Uh, I do use principles. I think it's raising, raising them to have accountability. That's the main principle. Accountability to myself, to themselves, and to God. How do you teach a kid accountability? Well, you teach them, first of all, that there are implications to their choices. Um, and I actively talk to them about God. Yeah. So what, what would you do, let's say, do you have boys or girls? A boy and a girl. A boy and a girl. Okay, great. So what would you do, let's say your boy is 16 years old, and he said, he comes home late one night, and he says, you know what, mama, I'm going party. I want to go to a party. I want to go do drugs. I want to go dancing. I want to take my clothes off and run. This is what I'm doing. You can't tell me nothing. Bye. What, what would you, be your response? Well, um, since I've never experienced that, and I hope not to experience that, I really don't know. But I think the foundation for my children at the age of 16 is built now. So in order to prevent that from happening at the age of 16, that's why I'm working hard now <laughs> to set the foundation so I won't find myself in that situation when they're 16. Were you rebellious growing up? Um, to a degree, but not, uh, not very. Not very. Uh, so uh, you know, I, I don't think I was very rebellious. I, I just had my sort of the way I, I was very obstinate, maybe, but I don't, I don't know if I was rebellious. Do you think you're going to try to get your kids to do judo? Yeah, definitely. definitely. Why? <laughs> I'm, I'm working on it right now. <laughs> <laughs> why, why would you try to get them in judo? Because I think it's great because it also teach them, teaches them a martial art and sports and it gives them confidence. I think it's a, it's a, it's a great sport. Where do you think you would be without judo? I've got no idea. It's, <laughs> it's a completely theoretical question because I don't know myself without judo. Yeah, that, that's a really good point. Um, okay, so you, seem, you, you really have your shit together. And I, I appreciate that. You, you seem extremely composed. Like, it seems like I would love to borrow your brain for like a week and put it in my head. I feel like it would improve me a lot. And I really respect that about you. You're, you're extremely composed, you're extremely intelligent, and you have an answer for everything. So this is fantastic. So I am going to, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to ask you for help. Like, here's a hypothetical. Could you, let's design my life, right? Or, or just not my life, a person's life, according to what you think would be best. So what are maybe like some of the, some habits that we could, give a person to set them up for success? What are the most important ones? Well, I think the, one of the things, you know, what I do, I'm a homeopath. And what I'm does that mean? Homeopathy is a form of alternative medicine. Okay. And one of the principles of homeopathy is individualization, which basically means that each person, we see, perceive each person as an individual and as a whole. So when we, when we come to help someone, 
and we, we, we give homeopathic remedies in order to help that person. Uh, we, the whole idea of homeopathy is, is to give the one homeopathic remedy out of something like 5,000 different homeopathic remedies, which will help the person improve also on the physical and the mental and the emotional aspects of his life. Okay. So the whole idea is that there isn't one size fits all. In order to truly help a person, you have to know him and see where he's at. And like I say, you raise him by one, but in order to raise him by one, you have to first see where, where he actually is. So like I say, I'm, I don't like so much the one size fits all because I, I feel that it's not, not very accurate uh, for, for most people. And most people... You know, they just, they just try to instead of instead of really working on themselves, they have like some idea, and uh, and it doesn't really fit. So you have to first understand the person and where they're coming from, and then you can can really help them. How do you get to understand them? It's what, what I do when I like you know I I I take a person's case. That's what you call it in homeopathy. I listen to their life story and to all their with all their challenges and all their physical, mental, and emotional symptoms for I'd say about an hour, an hour and a half. Um, I listen to to I want to hear all about their symptoms, whether they've their their present symptoms or their past symptoms. I want to hear about their family background, their work, uh, what they like to eat, what they don't like to eat whether the things that agree with them or don't agree with them, uh, their aspirations, their dreams in the night. And that's how I actually get to know them. And what I've seen is that everyone has patterns and these patterns repeat themselves. And the whole idea is during my conversation with, uh, with a person, I want to recognize his pattern. And once I've recognized the pattern, then I can find a suitable homeopathic remedy which will help him break the distract, you know, patterns that don't serve him or destructive patterns in his life in order for him to be to raise above the place that he that he currently is. Okay. Uh, what would be maybe, for example, a homeopathic uh, approach or remedy for someone who's struggling with um, maybe addiction? So addiction is just one symptom. You know, I can have 10 people coming to me suffering from addiction and each one will have a different, get, receive a different homeopathic remedy because one people, person is addicted to, to drugs and he loves chocolates and he's afraid of snakes and he's got, you know, rheumatoid arthritis, for example. And another person is addicted to alcohol and he works in a high stress environment and, uh, you know, he's got bad digestion. So every person is different. That's why you can't give the same, I don't think you'll get good results, let me put it that way, by giving the same remedy to each person. You have to understand each person, the entirety of each person in order to address the underlying problem, which is the reason why he's addicted. It's not, you're not treating the addiction, you're treating the person who's suffering addiction. So you think that addiction is kind of a symptom of the exactly. true, okay, of the real illness. Exactly. Every, every problem, everything that a person, you know, presents is basically a symptom. You know, every disease, it's all symptoms. And symptoms, they're like, you know, when, 
in the car when you don't have enough gas and you've got the light going going on. So you can either, you know, put a sticker on the on on the on the dashboard <laughs> so you don't see that there's not enough gas, or you can actually go to you know to a gas station. So what I do is instead of putting a band-aid, I try to help the person, you know, I try to be the gas station. <laughs> that is awesome. And it's so refreshing to hear you say that because, for example, here in the United States, just with addiction, if somebody were to come to an expert and say, hey, I'm addicted, the first thing we do, the only thing we really do is we put them in a rehab center, which is essentially, hey, we're going to purge you of your addiction, aka you're not going to crave this substance for 30 days. We're never going to treat the underlying symptom and then we're going to release you and eventually nine times out of 10, I think the statistics are literally nine times out of 10, the person will become addicted again, and then they will need to go back to rehab. And so that's why these re rehabilitation centers are money-making machines, right? That's okay. all it is. Look, you, you always, I always, I tell you what, from in my 20 plus years of counseling, I've noticed that any person regardless of your background, everyone wants the same four things. Everyone wants to be healthy. They all, all want to be loved and appreciated. Everyone wants money. And most people, you know, who are teenagers and above, they want to, they want to look, you know, a million dollars on their Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> they want to lose weight. They want to be lean. They want to be fit, etc. But the thing is that I found that actually most people – despite wanting all these things, most people go about it the wrong way. When it comes to health, you know, they find themselves taking medication, which can cause, you know, dependency, and they don't treat the underlying cause. When it comes to relationships, um, most people aren't accountable, and they get into that, like this victim mindset, and they keep on blaming everyone around them for their circumstances. When it comes to money, we have a saying in Israel that if you work too hard, you don't have time to make money. So most people will work hard and they're on the daily grind, but, but they're not, they lose sight of the bigger picture. They're not thinking strategically. They're not thinking effectively. So they aren't really making the money that they could be making. And when it comes to diets and losing weight and body image, you know, you've got all these yo-yo diets People are trying to eat according to, to the diet that's magneted to their fridge, but, you know, they just keep on going up and down or they, it slows down their metabolism. They don't succeed, so their self-esteem is very low. They get frustrated and angry, and then they, you know, resort to emotional eating. So it's just like I always I tell the story about the garden. Like imagine this beautiful garden in the old city of Jerusalem that's it's the pride and joy of its owners. It has lovely fruit trees. It's got these beautiful oranges and lemons and jasmine and flowers. And you have all the birds and the bees coming to this garden. And everyone who goes next to this garden just in, stops just to enjoy the fragrances, you know. And like I say, it's, it's the apple of, of, of its owner's eye. And slowly this garden begins to deteriorate. You know, the trees aren't I've lost their luster. The birds aren't coming anymore. The flowers are dying. No more bees. And the owner's just trying desperately to find a solution. He, he calls all these different experts. He gets an expert to come who starts building supports for the trees and someone to put some, you know, 
um, sugar water to attract bees and someone trying to, to help the flowers grow, but, but nothing's actually working. So he's spending all his money on the experts when one day his friend comes along with a, with a five-year-old child and the child sort of points out to the corner and he says, Dad, look, look there, what's that pipe there? And they realize that the water pipe is broken. You see, so once they fix the water pipe, the garden's getting enough water. Everything's growing. Everything's growing back. The garden just dried up, you see. Mm -hmm. And we're all like gardens. We all need the basic sustenance that we need is water. It's a connection to the source. Once you connect it to the source, and that's what I do with the homeopathy and the extrasensory business consulting I do with the bioeconomy, then you're connected to the life force. And that's when you can thrive. You're aligned with abundance. Your, your body receives the nurturing that it needs. Your, it knows how to cure itself. Your physical, emotional, and mental symptoms start improving because you're connected to the source, because we're treating the underlying cause. We're not taking a fragmental approach, bringing an expert for the bees and for the trees and for the birds, which is just touching the surface. We're going right to the core of it. And that's how you, 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 you get real change. Could you give me an example of maybe a past client? And of course, don't name names or whatever, or just somebody you knew. What was their underlying source? Like, what are you exactly talking about? A specific example. Okay, I, I can give you like an example. Let me think, because I've got so many, so many clients <laughs> and at the end of the day, the underlying cause is not like, you know, uh, my, you know, something happened when I was three and that's the underlying cause. Okay. Most people confuse that as the underlying cause. It's not the underlying cause because there's a reason why at the age of three, that trauma had happened to you. And that's the underlying cause. The underlying cause is basically a spiritual cause, which we can't really know. We can't, we can't know, we can only identify the pattern. Okay, so the reason why your life path has led you to, so be, to be born to this family in this environment and go through these challenges, okay? It's part of the, of the grand plan for your soul, okay? Mm -hmm. So it's not that we're trying to pinpoint, okay, the cause, you know, for you was going, you know, that trauma that happened at the age of three. As, first of all, it's, it's like, it's like I, I tell people, when you tell me your story, it's like you're describing the shape of the lock, of your lock. What I'm looking for is that key, is a special key which is shaped like your lock, which will open up the door for you and, and connect you to abundance. Behind that door is, is your water. That's, that's the flow. By finding that key that opens the pipe, that will basically nurture you. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes, yes. Could you give me an example of a, of a key just in the past that you've seen? Okay, for example, like, um, give me, let me think of an example. Okay, so there's this woman, okay, that she's experienced the, uh, she's experienced the death of her mother, okay? And she's, but she's not talking about it. She's, you know, she's in grief but she's holding it in. And in general, she's a very introverted person. She doesn't share much with people, okay? She doesn't share her feelings. 
Um, when she gets angry, she she still holds it. She holds it all in, and she craves salt, and she she likes wearing uh, tight clothes. Okay, and she she doesn't like the sun. There's two, you know. She doesn't like being out in the sun. She likes to drink a lot of water. And let me think of other symptoms that that she has. Um, her menstrual cycle isn't very good. She had trouble, you know, getting pregnant also. And and the the homeopathic remedy that's suitable for this woman would be a homeopathic remedy made of salt. Now, if we know, if you take into account what we know about salt, salt is a substance that it absorbs. Okay, it absorbs water, and it's also used as a preservative. Okay, and think about this woman, a woman's emotional state. She's trying. She's very introverted. She's absorbing all her all her feelings, all, all her emotions inside, she's holding on to them. She's trying to hold on to the memory of her mother who she's lost. She desires salt as a food, okay? Salt is also used, you know, to make places barren. If you want to uh, kill, kill the, the earth, I think the Romans used to pour salt on places to make them so, so nothing will grow there. And hence, that her fertility problems, okay, she was barren, she's had difficult, difficulty getting pregnant. So you see that you have this pattern of absorbing, of holding in and of barrenness, it goes through her, her case. And that's how we look at it. Do you understand? Yes. Does that give a better picture of how, how, we, how we see things? That does give a much better picture. So your, uh, um, I guess, prescription or advice to her... Uh, Homeopathic prescription, yeah, would be a homeopathic remedy. Would be to consume more salt? No, no, not to consume salt. Well, you see, uh, that's a very good point. In homeopathy, what we do is we take a substance, whether it's salt or a plant or, uh, you know, or even chocolate. Okay, there's a, homeop there's a homeopathic made of, made of chocolate and we dilute it many, many times. Okay. And after it's been diluted and succussed, meaning that it's, it's, it's go, it goes to a certain, certain process, which, that, which doesn't leave, which once you check that substance, it does conduct light and electricity differently, but you can't find any molecule from the original substance. It's like you'd say it's the memory of the substance. So you make a homeopathic remedy from a certain substance that's diluted so many times that it's become like the energetic signature, I'd say, of the original substance. And it acts differently than the subject itself. Because this woman, if she were to consume a large amount of salt, it, it wouldn't be very healthy or good for her. However, giving her salt in a homeopathic dose, in a homeopathic remedy, works the exact opposite and it can cure her. So that's why homeopathic remedies are diluted. Okay, that, that makes sense. I, I didn't know about that. So she would... Uh, consume this extremely diluted um, homeopathic remedy. Um, yeah. And what would you tell her to expect? Would you, would you also maybe tell her to change behaviors or anything? No, 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 no. That's the whole point. You see, the whole point I'm of 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 homeopathy and what I love about it is that it's totally effortless. All you have to do is take the homeopathic remedy. At least that's, that's the way I work and that's the way I see the best results in my, in, in my clinic. Um, the whole idea is that when a person that becomes healthier, they naturally make better choices, okay? Because when you're healthy, your needs and desires are aligned. 
Let me give you an example. When someone's sick, the worst thing that they, you know, if someone's a diabetic, the worst thing that they need is sugar, right? However, they desire sugar all the time, right? So you can see that their need, which is no sugar, is not aligned with the desire for sugar. Same with an addiction. Someone's addicted to alcohol, to drugs. The last thing they need now is more alcohol or drugs, but they, des- they desire the alcohol or the drugs. There isn't an alignment between their needs and their desires. Now, this, this gap is the illness, okay? Because people also desire destructive relationships. They desire work that isn't good for them. They desire destructive environments. And they desire all these things that are very bad for them just because they're not aligned, they're not synced, they're not balanced, okay? As people become healthier, their desires and needs are aligned. So people tell me, just that just yesterday I was speaking to a woman who was who's came to me a few weeks ago. You know, she just started treatment and she's overweight. And she said, and she came, she said she just she used to eat a lot all the time, regardless whether she was hungry or not. And she told me, listen, yesterday I was at a rest at a, at a wedding and I ate the first course and the second course. And you know, the wedding goes on at two o'clock, they come out and they bring out the hamburgers <laughs> at the wedding. <laughs> and she said, usually I'd be eating them. But I just couldn't bring myself to touch them. I couldn't look at them. I couldn't eat them. And I was amazed. It was the first time that I actually refused food because I just didn't want it. And you see, why is that? Because she's starting to be aligned. Her needs and desires are becoming aligned. So I see people starting exercise and they change their nutrition, but from a different place, not because someone told them to. And that they had to go against their grain or exercise this huge amount of discipline. But just because naturally their bodies are becoming healthier and their, their body is directing them to the things that are good for them. Whoa. So, so you never give, um, I guess, like practical, not practical, but you never tell people to change or alter their behaviors. You just always, is it in every case you treat like their underlying body chemistry, and that fixes everything else? So with, with when in my homeopathic practice, sorry, I just tell them to take the remedy, and I just see that things just start working. I don't have to tell them anything else. And they just, it just works. This you is know, incredible. I, yeah, it is amazing. I love it. <laughs> Why do you think that this is not how all illnesses and conditions are treated? Well... Uh, it's very difficult to do a homeopath- homeopathy at the high level because, like I say, we need individualization. If I could give the same homeopathic remedy to everyone, just like over-the-counter drugs, and have these results, that would be really easy. But it's very difficult to do good homeopathy at a high level, and it takes a lot of energy. Each case, you have to be—you know—you have to hear each person's story. It takes—it takes a lot of energy, and it's. Uh, it doesn't make so much money like like over the counter drugs that you can just you know push <laughs> push to everyone. <laughs> yeah. so, you know, one size fits all. You know, why you just take this and this and this? So it's it's a different kind of approach, and it's it's just much more energy consuming. However, it's you know the results are so much better. Yeah, I think because what you're talking about and what you're describing, a lot of people that I talk to have that intuition of, man, you know, my life is just all screwed up in five different ways. 
and so I'm taking a pill for this and I'm going to therapy for that and I'm taking a cream for this one and this treating of the symptoms does seem like people kind of have this intuition that this just isn't right. I think there's something wrong with me <laughs> deep down. But every time I go to the doctor and the doctor is this very smart person who makes all kinds of money and who knows about me more than me, the doctor always just gives me some pills or tells me to change my habits. And so that's what I do. And so I think people have this intuition, like you said, like, can we just treat the source? But nobody knows how to, because I guess homeopathy is just not as popular at least here in the United States, and I wish it was. Yeah, I also wish it was. I think it's, I think it's you know, <laughs> the, the best thing since, you know, bread came sliced. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what advice would you give? So let's say this person is, right, hey, man, I'm struggling with addiction, weight, depression, et cetera, et cetera. How do you find a good homeopathic uh, doctor or I'm, I'm not sure how to address it's not a homeopathic doctor. Usually, usually homeopaths in most cases depends in different countries. Homeopaths and doctors usually think, see things, you know, in the exact opposite way. Like, so doctors, uh, so let's focus more on homeopath. Yes. Usually you want a homeopath who's just a homeopath, you know, who's, who's a homeopath. And, uh, and you want someone who's good, that you know, who's got good results, uh, because it's, it's something that's very difficult to do at a high level. So you do want to go to the top, yeah, because, um, you, like I say, there's, you can buy, you can get cheap service, but like someone told me, you can go hunt a deer with a water gun, but you're not going to get the results. You're not going to kill the deer. <laughs> <laughs> so the water gun's cheap, but uh, you, you want to go here yeah, for the top, for the best. For the best. And what if maybe a person doesn't have lots of money? Is there ways to maybe study and observe themselves and apply some of these techniques? Listen, I'm not, I, I don't think that necessarily the best would cost so much money com in comparison to other forms of, uh, of medicine. So it is worth exploring it. And there are also places where, you know, I used to teach in a school for homeopathy. So if people that came to the school to be treated by the students, were overseen by the more you know experienced homeopaths so you could so there are different ways if you want to get a good treatment you can find a way to get a good treatment without having to spend a lot of money and it's worth pursuing that um however if like i say if you want to start working on yourself and i think that's a good idea anyway <laughs> yes. uh, to take control of your life and be first of all be accountable realize that everything that's happened to you in your life has come in order to give you an opportunity to grow. So if you perceive reality as, as life, as a journey, which is meant for you, to develop, for you to develop your unique skills, your unique skill set in order to bring your special light into the world, then you have a much more positive approach. And that's very important to have a positive approach because otherwise, like I said, people have this victim mindset they instead of doing something about their situation, they just you know, you know, waste energy on putting themselves instead of finding a solution of getting themselves out of the rut. Because the challenges that you're facing today are there in order for you to grow, to become stronger, and eventually 
help other people in this world. This is beautiful. Okay, this is fantastic. Oh man, I, I cannot believe you're saying this. This is so good because you are right. I don't understand why. I don't know if it's um, an American thing. I don't know if it's just my friends and family, but you are so right. So for example, let's say, man, you wake up, I lost my job. Oh no, everything's terrible. I'm going to go grab a bottle of alcohol and cry my eyes out, right? What you're saying is, whoa, 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 you losing your job is not a bad thing. It's an opportunity to face the adversity, overcome it and become better. Is that right? Exactly. Exactly. Yes. And I don't, I don't know how to instill this beautiful mindset into people or even uncover it or make it appealing to them because it's just, I don't know if it's human nature to automatically say, oh no, I'm a victim. I don't know if it's taught, but I think it is so damn destructive that every single time something bad or negative happens to you, the first thing we do is say, woe is me. Because essentially what you're saying is, my life is not in my control. Just whatever happens, happens, and I'm along for the ride. And I wish, I'm, I'm gonna share this podcast with a bunch of people because you have such a beautiful mindset around this. Where do you think this came from? Is this just how it is over there in Israel or did you have incredible parents? Um, thank God I have got incredible parents. And it's, it's, I've been studying spirituality for the past 20 plus years. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think, from, look, from my experience, um, I, 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 I try to help people that want to help themselves um, people that don't want to help, I just don't waste my energy with. So, you know, if people want to, people, lots of people are in love with their victim mindset and I just don't bother wasting energy there. So uh, I think there are enough people which want help and are willing to change uh, that I, I do spend, do want to spend my energy there instead of you know, wasting my energy and getting my energy sucked up by people who really don't want to change. So I think it's very important that you said that you want to instill this mindset in everyone. I understand that. And that's great. However, if people don't want to, I, you know, I wouldn't waste energy on, you know, trying to <laughs> change them because people, it has to come with, from within. Change has to come from within. If it comes from outside, it doesn't last. For, it doesn't last. You know, if people are trying to please you or if you, you know, manage to kind of, you know, turn their hand behind their back, or you've got a gun to their head. But it doesn't come from within. Then you know, as soon as you turn, you turn your back. They're back to their patterns, right? Yeah. So, so you know, there, there is, I you know, just trust the universe and trust God that they will bring them to such a low point <laughs> where <laughs> they will just have to kick bottom. Okay. So sometimes you just have to let someone go and reach that low point where he just says, "Listen, I just can't take it anymore." So you can't. I understand that, you know, people that you close to and you care about, it's difficult to, to see them go down that path. But sometimes you just have to sort of let them experience it. And once they're, they've experienced it from themselves and made a, a true choice, that's when it will actually hold, you know, that, that's when it will have a long-term effect. Yeah, that, that's a great point. I think also, too, a lot of people don't even know that this 
type of mindset exists. They've never heard of it. They don't know it's an option. So I think a lot of people, they may have like a victim type of mindset and they don't know another way. So I think it's good maybe if you hear this podcast or you you have, at least you've been exposed, you know that it is an option. Even if you actively yeah. reject it and you say, no, I, I want to be a victim. At least you know it's out there. Totally. So, yeah, I yeah. agree with that. Um, because, yeah, I... Listen, this is something that um, I don't see a lot of people kind of talking about. So what what initially turned you on to homeopathy? What what led you down that road? Well, I had the good fortune of, you know, being born to a family of, uh, of doctors, whether they're alternative doctors or conventional doctors. And my uncle is one of the top homeopaths in the world. So, wow. you know, thank God I've been... You know, I've known homeopathy for most of my life and I've seen its amazing results. And I, I think, you know, and I love it. I think it's amazing. <laughs> okay, so so you're just you're just kind of born into it. You're just always exposed to it. Do you believe that you can treat like serious diseases with homeopathy or is that not the right No, you can't you can't treat any disease with homeopathy. You okay. you treat people with homeopathy. That's the thing. We don't treat the disease. We treat the person. So you don't treat like serious illness. You treat bad behaviors. No, I treat people who suffer from serious illnesses. Okay. That's a huge dif difference. I don't treat the disease. The disease doesn't need to be treated. It's the person that, that needs to be treated. Now it sounds like it's the same thing, but it's not. I don't treat the disease. I don't treat the problem. I treat the person, the person who is suffering from it. Because once you treat the person, you connect him to the water. It's like, I don't treat the bees, I don't treat the birds, and I don't treat the trees or the flowers. I treat, I, I connect the garden to the water. And then whatever needs to grow will, glow, will grow. The garden will thrive because it's connected to the water. Okay, th this makes sense. So, so regardless of what the person is going through, whether it be emotional, mental, or physical issues, you just you always treat them the same, which is treating exactly. the person. Exactly, but it's not the same because each person needs a different remedy. But the thought behind it, the rational behind it, is always the same. They're always the same principles, which is treating the person as an individual and as a whole. Correct. Yeah, uh, yeah. So you you always each case is different, essentially suited. Exactly suited tailored to that person and exactly. whatever that the counseling have you ever seen as a result of going to homeopathy um, treatments or, or sessions have you ever seen somebody um, be I guess cured of actual physical illnesses of course I've had you know the most amazing results like I had a woman who was in a wheelchair with her whole spine was cracked and after taking homeopathic remedies, she was back walking. So I've seen the most, and that's just, you know, one example. I've seen the most amazing results with homeopathy because I don't treat the disease. I treat the person. How, how, how did people, I'm just trying to think, like, how did people think of this stuff? Like, how old is this practice? Like, who, who first thought of, for example, you said the, the very diluted um, salt yeah, so treatment. So the father of homeopathy is Samuel Hahnemann. He was uh, a German about, and he discovered homeopathy about 250 years ago. 
um, and it's and it's just been growing ever since. Ever since. So, has like new treatments been developed, or is kind of no, everything? You, the whole thing about homeopathy is that the same principles. It's not like you change every time. You know, this is the flavor of the month. This is the <laughs> new trend. This is no. <laughs> Homeopathy has the same principles since Samuel Hahnemann, 250 years. These same principles have been applied over and over and over again to get amazing results with the same principles. However, we are discovering new homeopathic remedies, okay? But the same principle applies. You don't just, just because you've discovered a new remedy, you're not going to start giving it to everyone. You're going to give it only to the people that that remedy suits you know based on their physical emotional and mental symptoms and based on the principles of homeopathy so that's the amazing thing about homeopathy it doesn't change every time to a new trend we're going to do this and that you know and suddenly you know there's a recall of all the (laughs) (laughs) or all you know everything we thought you know like from doctors once they used to uh i remember recommend smoking my grandmother my late grandmother she picked up smoking because a doctor advised her to pick up smoking uh, when she wanted to lose weight so we don't change the way you know our principles every few years just because it's a trend we stick to the same principles the same spiritual principles which have proven results in order to get these amazing results that we see as homeopaths that's incredible do you know like, what are traditional doctors' opinion on homeopathy? Well, I, I don't, you know, uh, presume to speak in the name of traditional doctors. <laughs> so, uh, but I assume like every, every other person, some people are for, like my, my doctor is very much for homeopathy. And that's why he's, my, he's my, my MD, my medical doctor, which I usually, I go only when I need like, uh, you know, certificates for the insurance or something. <laughs> and some people are against it you know everyone has their opinion everyone's entitled to their opinion the only thing that i care about is results look i'll give you an example i've got this program it's called effortless financial freedom and weight loss three months holistic program program for for business professionals okay and it's a full money back guarantee and why do i give a full money back guarantee it's because I have confidence in what I do. I have confidence in my homeopathic treatment. I have confidence in the bioergonomy and the support, the business support that I give my extrasensory abilities and the support that I give to these business professionals. And that's why I I offer full money by guarantee. I want to make it so it's a no brainer for people to choose this holistic path because I think it's very, very important that the more people actually know about it, they can improve their lives. They can improve the way they do business they can basically improve the world because you get one, one person connected to, to the source, connected to the light. He brings on more, more people. So it's all about raising the general consciousness of, of humanity. Where do I find this program at? I'm, I'm interested. <laughs> <laughs> it's on my website, bioforbiz.com. It's yeah. I would, right there. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds awesome, man. Listen, whatever you're you're selling, I'm buying. Or, or yeah, this this sounds great. Um, has homeopathy maybe not worked for someone? Have you ever seen it not work for someone? 
Yeah, listen, the cases I've seen when it hasn't worked for someone was if we haven't found the right homeopathic remedy. Like I said, there's like 5,000 different homeopathic remedies. So sometimes it will take a few times until we find the right homeopathic remedy. And that's, by the way, some people will argue that homeopathy works because it's a placebo and it doesn't. You know, people believe when they take the remedy or they don't believe when they take the remedy, but sometimes it doesn't work. And then you just have to find a different remedy. Or if people don't take the remedy, usually it doesn't succeed if people, either if I haven't found the right homeopathic remedy, or if people don't, you know, stick to the program, which is, it's very difficult not to stick to the program because really the program doesn't require much. Or why is it that you take the homeopathic remedy, you know, when I tell you either every day, once a week or whatever. So it's very difficult <laughs> not to succeed. And not to get good results, let me put it that way. But, you know, everything happens. Uh, of course. And it, it's not an indictment on homeopathy if it doesn't work, because traditional medicine doesn't work all the time. So it's, <laughs> this, this is very normal. Don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs> now I want to get you started. Well, what, what, what are your biggest gripes with traditional medicine? What, what's wrong no, with no, it? No, no, I, I don't think, I, I, like I say, just like I don't focus on fear, I don't focus, I, 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 anything, let me put it this way, whatever you focus on grows, okay? That's why you want to focus on positive things and you, and you want to focus on the things that you want to grow, whether it's in the conversation, in your mind, in the choices you make. So, like I say, you know, I, I, I just don't want to go there because I don't want things to grow. What I don't grow, I don't even, you know, I don't, it's not the subject, it's not an issue. That's so interesting. So would you say that most of the thoughts in your head are positive? Do you ever have small demons come and nip at you? I, I think I suppose I do, but I just, you know, it's like I say, I don't feed them. You know, I, it's just like, like I teach my six-year-old daughter. She, I'm like, listen, your mind is like a torch, okay? So you decide what you want to shine on. You can either shine on the things that you're afraid of, you know, if she's afraid of snakes or whatever, or you can shine on good things. So let's, let's think about something good or positive, and you can shine the torch on that. Holy shit. Yeah, this is, this is really incredible stuff. <laughs> so, so all day you, so the, the little thoughts come up and nip at your heels, maybe, um, I don't know, have, have some, some alcohol and do that. And you say, you, first of all, you bring it to your conscious, right? Because most people, they just kind of have that thought, and then it just kind of consumes them. So you identify the thought. And then you say, this is yeah. bad, and then let's go the other way. It's active like that? No. no. It's not that way because, like, it's like at some point when you become, it's like the, the more you, like I said, when you, the more you make sh good choices, the good wolf, the one that you've been feeding, right, the white wolf, we call him that way, you know, compared to the black wolf. So he's very strong. So the black wolf, he hardly has, you know, room to get in and to, and to you know, to, to say his share, you know, because the white wolf's constantly putting him down. So, so some things at some point aren't even an option, you know. It's like as soon, the more focused you are on doing good, then it's like the things from the background, they slowly start to, to fall off. They shed just like people shed, you know, trees shed leaves, dead leaves. It's like you shed things that are, are dead and have no life. Once you don't, you don't nurture anything, if you don't nurture certain things in your life, it will just shed off you, okay? And it just won't be an issue anymore. 
So you're saying your white wolf is so strong right now that the black wolf just has no chance at all because you've built up the white wolf. um, That's what I try. I have my moments, but I, I know, you know, it's all about I have enough confidence in the white wolf. I've seen him beat the black wolf so many times that I have enough confidence, you know, to just kind of, you know, say, okay. So even if I hear the black wolf, you know, moaning from time to time or making a, a huge growl, I'm like, don't worry. You know, I'm not worried because I know the white wolf will come and, you know, sort it out. Damn. Well, Tahila, I think that's, that's all I have for you today. Um, <laughs> I, I, I really enjoyed this conversation because... Thank you, me too. <laughs> I think one of the things that I've taken away is that there are people in this world, such as yourself, that look at things completely different than me or anybody I've ever met. And just sitting down, I'm looking in your eyes through the power of the internet (laughs) and seeing your spirit come out in different ways is extremely empowering. And it makes me feel like I can go conquer a lion right now. And I don't know if you realize that you have that effect just by being who you are, but you do. And I thank you for that. Thank you. Um, <laughs> thank you very much. Of course. Where, where can people find out more about you? Um, like I say on the website, it's like <laughs> this website. <laughs> <laughs> Bio for Biz. It's B-I-O, the number four, B-I-Z dot com. Now, usually I, I'm, you know, I'm, telling, I'm, I'm open and honest with you. I usually work with women. I prefer working with women. <laughs> of course. <laughs> because... Uh, it's just, you know, I, 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 I relate better, better to them, <laughs> Of course. but you know, there's always, I'm always open for, to making exceptions for people who are, for men who are open and are willing to do the work, not the work, like I say of, you know, there isn't much work with the homeopathy, but who are committed to, to change, who want to really want to change their lives. That's what I'm looking for. I'm looking to work with people who are committed who were willing to to make an investment in in their in in their well-being that's that's the set of people that I work with that's awesome uh, that is awesome I am going to feed the white wolf today that's what I'm <laughs> going to thanks to you I don't know maybe tonight while you're having dinner or something like that you're sitting down with your kids just know that You made me feed the white wolf today and you're fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on. I hope you have a great day. Thank you. I love your energy, the way you're so open and forthcoming and and full of life. I I wish you really all the best and that all this good energy, you'll be able to put it, you know, to take it to an even more positive place. And I'm sure that what you're doing has a a great effect on people's lives and, and well done. Awesome. Thank you so much. 